0: panel is that when folks like us get involved in counseling those who are demonically oppressed, there are a number of areas in which we can slip and fall into deception ourselves, and one of the things we want to do at this conference is to try to identify some of those areas, so we've brought together a few experienced counselors, and uh, we want to see what they have to say in the way of sharing. Now, after the break that follows this session, there'll be another panel which will be designed to field questions, and if you would like to jot down your question on a piece of paper, there's a a box top here um, at my feet, and you can drop it in there during the break, and Fred Dickinson assures me that he'll make sure that all the questions are answered. He'll do his best to to uh, select those that are, are able to be answered most appropriately in the panel. Uh, there'll also be an opportunity for you to, to share your questions from the floor, but as much as possible, we'd like you to do it in written form. So our panel today is Dr. Victor Matthews, Dr. Mark Zuback, Dr. Fred Dickerson, and myself, Dan Rumberger. So um, I'm going to turn it over to them and ask... Um, who wants to go first? We, we just got Mark in from the other session. Um, how about if we have Mark go first? Would you like to go first, Mark?
1: This is kind of fresh in my mind. Uh, I can share one of the things that uh, was a very common error in my own approach in the early years, and that was to rush too quickly to confrontation. Um, I mentioned it in the last hour, most of you weren't there, so I feel free to mention it again. I think that, uh, well let me just share what I used to do in dealing with someone, usually when you get close to what is really going to be threatening to the powers of darkness. Wicked spirits will try to manifest. And I found that what they're trying to do is divert you from uh, taking away from them what is their ground or involvement in the person's life. And so they may try to make the person shake, or uh, they may try to uh, put the person into a trance, or something else. Well, whenever that happened in the early days of my counseling in spiritual warfare, I'd say, now, what's your name? And I'd go right after them. Now, uh, after uh, much experience and also much study of the word, I recognized that demonic forces cannot work in people's lives unless they have a reason to be able to work. And that it's much, much wiser to try to find out what the ground is and uh, help the person to renounce that ground. And so I just subdue the wicked powers. It's a wonderful thing. And I remember we used to uh, sometimes see people wonderfully relieved after dealing with the demons. But uh, it wasn't any time until they were back in trouble. And the problem was that it wasn't the same be- demons that had come back to trouble them, but they seemed to have reserves and resources almost limitless. And so they, the door was open, the same ground was there, the behavior patterns, the thought patterns that enabled the wicked spirits... To take control in the first place, just left them open and vulnerable. So now we we don't allow that interference. We subdue them. We command them to remain subdued and under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and forbid them to interfere with the person's right to um, understand what has given ground to the enemy. And just it's amazing how the Wicked spirits have to be subdued. They just can't take over. And then you go on dealing with the ground. So if any of you are caught in that syndrome, I would urge you to uh, practice that. Just take authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, subdue them, forbid them to interfere, then go on dealing with the basic issues that uh, must be
2: dealt with in a person's life.
0: If any of the rest of you have comments on that same topic, please make them.
2: I would like to uh, add to what Mark has said about how important it is to do real careful preparation for people who need to go through deliverance. It's just to remind the people that they have more control over their wicked spirits related to them than you do. And What you need to do is to find out how the enemy has gotten a hold of so uh, part of that is they're going through the material that I give them and a handout that's called Reconciling the Past. This is where I have people uh, go back to some of their early memories as a child and to write out every time that they uh, remember they sinned and then every time that they were hurt. and Then to evaluate that event, not just to hurry through it just to pray about it, not just to talk about it, but then to evaluate it and ask a very important question, and that question would be, what error did I accept from this event that happened to me? What error? And if uh, somebody had hurt them, then it's important for them to forgive that person. I can tell you how important that is. Forgive the person. Write it all out. And if they had sinned in some way, then to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And as they do that, as they start with their early memories and are very slow and careful and detailed in doing this, what will happen is that they will start to see a pattern in their life. Now, Many people, when I introduce this handout and talk to them, they say, well, here I am, 42 years old. It'll take me the next 20 years to do this. But usually that's not the way it is very rare for a person uh, to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit where they will have more than 10 or 15 predominant events in their past that they need to reconcile. So I urge people Mm -hmm. then to uh, find uh, two or three times during the week where they can be by themselves and where they can, when they're feeling good, and maybe have a couple uninterrupted hours... And then to start working in their memory, not to blame people, but to find out the error that they have accepted and to look for that pattern. And this is nobody's business but their own. Many times a counselee will want to share with you about what they have found because they have, they're comfortable with doing that. And then you can start to point out the error. You can start to ask important questions. And the most important question you can ask about this is, how do you feel about it how do you feel well the, I told you in the other session uh, uh, this morning that I was raised in such a way that I was made to be, uh, I was made to feel as though I were a worthless inferior kind of a person and so some of my first memories were tremendously painful and then I didn't have any memories at all And then as an adult, uh, some years ago, when the Lord was leading me through uh, my own spiritual uh, deliverance, I realized that there was a reason why I didn't have memories, and that is that I had built a wall around myself as a very, very young child. I could tell you some very unusual experiences about this, but even as a very young child, early in grammar school, some things happened with me, with my mother and with my father, where I just made a very adult and a very wrong decision, and that was, I'm never going to allow this to happen again. I'm never going to expose myself on the inside to anybody again. Nobody's going to hurt me like this. So I started to build a wall, and I lived behind the wall. Years later, when I became a believer, I wondered why the Bible talks so much about love, and I didn't know what it was in my experience. And I often wondered why everybody, I I couldn't have a close relationship with anybody, and that I was like a role player, and I wondered why God wasn't close. And then one day I discovered that everybody else was on the other side of the wall, and God was on the other side of the wall, and I had built it, and it 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 was constructed of error. And the error was, I wasn't worth anything, I was an inferior person. And therefore, I should hide myself in people and hide myself from life. And in doing that, I was hiding myself from God. Well, I don't want to go on with this, but I just want to tell you that the key in the life of these people that we're trying to set free is on the inside. It isn't a matter of saying, read more of the Bible. Now, maybe they need to get into Bible study. That's one of the things I have on the sheet here. Of a failure that we often have, but that is not really discipling a person, but is not telling people to work harder. That's not the key. It isn't introducing them to stronger layers of legalism. That is not the way to bring deliverance to people. It's to help them to find out the error that they have in life, and then how to be free from it. Well, I got to quit here. I can talk a couple more hours about
3: I'd like to add to that point just a bit. We, we of course, need to have a, a proper perspective in our counsel. We're counseling the whole person, not primarily confronting a demon. And we're not primarily dealing with MPD. We're dealing with the whole person, wherever they might be. That means we have to take into account physiological, psychological, and uh, spiritual or demonic problems. So <clears throat> we are... Dealing with a person who happens to have attendant demonic problems. Therefore, we have to uh, listen. I'd like to pick up on that by saying uh, we often fall into the error of uh, improper diagnosis because we are already pushing a solution before we hear facts mm-hmm. out. Before we hear the person. So we need to seek personal um Hurts and causes that are there. Uh, We may come to a premature conclusion if we don't. We need to listen. Cultivate the skills of listening. Don't be trying to work up uh, an answer right away. Get all the facts. Uh, I think that's so important. And uh, with that perspective, uh, we should not be correcting people with biblical answers right away. It's good to have biblical answers, I, I'm a theologian of sorts, I hope a happy sort, but uh, we uh, need not to correct people so much as cultivate people. We need to allow for emotional expressions, for even for the expression of improper theology without correcting it right away, because you want to see where the person's coming from. If we cut them off at the past, they won't get through. So what we need to do is just allow them to go on for a while and ask some more questions that will help to bring out where the person really stands in their thinking or in their emotions. Because if you cut a person off with the expression of their feelings, you're saying they're not worth a whole lot. And you're counterproductive. So allow them to, to be themselves and don't jump to a premature conclusion, but listen, listen, and listen. Somebody said that's why God gave us two ears and one
0: mouth. Part of what's being referred to here could be described as an impatience with the process of healing, an impatience with the process of growth. One of the things that um, psychologists will sometimes run into, or other mental health counselors, is that um, some of our counselees have been hurt by um, pastoral counselors, um, by those in other spiritual arenas, more overtly spiritual arenas, I'm not sure I like that term because nothing's really spiritual or secular. Uh, It's all under God. But you know what I mean. They've been hurt by people who too quickly have jumped to the conclusion that this is a bitterness problem, so just identify the person you need to forgive and forgive them. Or this is a a, uh, demonic problem, so let's do deliverance on this person failing to see the fact that a person has to go through a process of healing and a process of growth that sometimes can be quite lengthy. I think what's confusing about that is that even though we are all creatures made in the image of God, and even though in God's eyes we probably can all be categorized as lost or saved, know probably about it, there are different developmental levels, different levels of maturity, and some of that is determined by such factors as um, brain damage, organicity, early life problems that caused pathologies and how the person relates to people. And let's say you're dealing with a, a, uh, a counselee who comes in um, clearly with some demonic deception, but this is... Uh, an individual who we would de- who we would term a borderline personality they have very intense emotional struggles they form very quick attachments they easily get depressed and overwhelmed and yet they hate to be controlled they're very manipulative they're a hard population to work with and because you can see them believing a lot of lies you start to deal with the enemy and try to to uh, rebuke spirits or something like that they can't tell that you're not talking to them. Another person will, but a a borderline will not. They cannot tell that when you're looking at them and and trying to rebuke a spirit that you're not talking to them. Another problem with, with this kind of a person, which counselors need to be aware of and be patient with, is the fact that for this individual, forgiveness is going to be a much longer, more difficult, very difficult process than it will be for someone who has not had the same kind of problems, or sometimes even for someone with MPD, who has been able to maintain healthy alter personalities that interact with the, the world in a, in a more normal, healthy fashion. A borderline tends to split good and bad, and when you start talking about um, uh, forgiving, getting rid of bitterness, take, dealing with ground, a borderline will hear that a little differently than someone else will and they'll see it as as a way of splitting off the bad and just you'll you'll think that they're they're forgiving but they're really just burying it it's a kind of splitting that isn't done as well as someone who dissociates and so consequently you get done you think you've done a good job with someone like that and you find out sometime later that they haven't really dealt with the forgiveness issue at all likewise you may be dealing with a multiple and uh you'll have some very good forgiveness work going on and you think well that's that's nicely taken care of there's freedom the person has come to and then two weeks later they are caught in so much bitterness and anger and you you're thinking, well, why don't you believe what you believe? come on guy well the problem is you're dealing with the feelings generated by another altar personality and even though you've dealt with that in one altar you haven't dealt with it in this one and and the the, um, the intensity of the emotions, And the conflict it generates will be just as intense, and maybe more so, than those that you've dealt with in the past. Calls for patience and gentleness with the process of healing.
1: For a number of years um, as a pastor, I did not um, use a confidential information form. I think that was one of the big mistakes I made. Um, we now use it uh, with every client that comes for help. It's amazing how useful that can be, even in just the vital statistics um, of um, their name. How do you like your name? And it's amazing. Sometimes you'll get. Uh, some tremendous insight, and they even will have new insight to talk about maybe how they've always hated their name or how they used to make fun of me at school or something because of my name. You sometimes want to talk about where they live. How do you like where you live? Let them uh, maybe there's something very dark about uh, their town or their experience there. And then, of course, uh, talk about uh, husband-wife divorce situations. Let them ventilate that. You'll be gaining insights as they talk about it, especially when talk about mother and dad, uh, how they related to mother and dad. Just those vital statistics that are part of uh, any good confidential information form provide an invaluable opportunity to let the person talk about uh, how they related to mother and dad, how they related to the grandparents. Sometimes you just, it's a shortcut right to the problem um, of uh, maybe even a grandparent who had abused them. Then have them talk about brothers and sisters and how they related to them. So those are tremendous opportunities and then of course uh, in the confidential information forms that we use we uh, we try to discover sin areas that they have um, unknowingly stepped into and my I just find it invaluable I'm sorry I looked through the uh, through our booklets and I I didn't find one do we have one I don't believe we do And we apologize for that. We sometimes slip up on some of these basic things. But uh, if you do not have a confidential information form that you are able to use, then I know Fred has an excellent one. We use one at ICBC.
0: There is one um, that someone has provided, uh, and it's sitting there for your taking in the main gallery, Gallery C, on one of the tables. Oh, good. It's not from ICBC, but... uh, can't remember who asked permission to put it there. Thank you. Pre-ministry questionnaire, it's called. So those are available in the main gallery.
1: If you aren't using one, use it. It is so, so very valuable. Not only to you, but to the counselee.
0: Oh my, we're quiet.
3: Well, I might like to speak to the area of uh, motivation for counseling. Sometimes psychiatrists and psychologists get into the business to solve their own problems. Pastors get there because they're guilt-laden. And counselors uh, want to solve their own problems, too. And uh, if they can help somebody else, it makes them feel better. In other words, they're climbing on the backs of others to get a little more stature. Uh, pride can be a matter of, counsel, uh, of motivation and counseling. And if pride motivates the counselor in one way or another, they're going to seek quick solutions so they can say, I've got another scalp. Oh, they won't ever say that. But I've helped somebody today. and I saw this many people, and uh, I've helped these and in my insights and so <clears throat> forth. It may not come out overtly like that, but we need to watch ourselves in our counseling that we are not the center of our counseling. I've got the answer, other people aren't. These people are spending time and taking money from people, and they're not, and I do it overnight. Well, we have to watch that. Uh, The question is, uh, uh, somebody is trying to say, I can help, I am the conqueror. And there's a lot of that in our individualistic, uh, Western thinking, in uh, the good old American dream situation. not only refers to the house and home and car, but also to self-achievement. And you're going to be uh, above and beyond everybody else. Now, the uh, traditional uh, Indian, American Indian, uh, doesn't like to make waves. They're part of the society. And the African, though he's power-hungry, always fits in with the group. So whether it's the the family or the tribe or the clan, whatever it might be, uh, these people try to blend in and be part of the group. That's good, that's bad. Uh, They are therefore locked into the group. But uh, there's some advantage. Uh, They don't like to be thought of as different and above somebody else. They all hope to be accepted on the same level. Now, I think what we need to do is realize that counselors are people in process who are helping people in process. So our motivation... It's very important. We need to learn to refer when we're not adequate. And uh, I just wish there were more people to refer to.
0: Let's uh, respond to another issue here. Do you gentlemen sometimes see a problem with having our desire to help people in the area of spiritual warfare land us in the place where we might be allowing A demonic agenda to establish our methodologies. Have you seen that happen, and what can we do about it? Ten minutes.
2: Well, I think this uh, did happen to me to some degree uh, way back in the early days, because I was living as such a frustrated person in my own life, and that when I felt that uh, while I was doing everything that I knew to do, and I talked to you about being a legalist. I wanted God and hungered for Him, and and uh, wondered why they, I didn't have a real close, enjoyable relationship with Him, and more power in ministering to people, winning people, discipling people, helping individuals, and when the Lord pushed me into working with individuals about uh, the enemy, then I put too much emphasis upon that part of the supernatural. And because the Lord at that time, in order to teach me quickly, started to bring a number of individuals who needed working with the enemy, and that became too large in my life of a solution. I started to uh, think about it too often in my counseling, and the Lord uh, helped me to realize what I was doing. I became very vulnerable to seeing the enemy behind every problem that the person would have. And, uh, and uh, wanting to work directly, and because I didn't want anybody to hurt any longer, to try to bring deliverance to them very, very quickly. And uh, to not to use some of the other areas that are very important to bring healing and help to a person. And so when I have a spiritual warfare conference now, I talk about spiritual warfare as being a very, very small part of the biblical picture. The important part, but a very small part. And so I try to talk about it in a much more balanced way, and I try to do that too in the, with the people who come and who say that they have the enemy working in their life. I have found that the more troubled a person is, the more necessary it is to work with them in an indirect way. Instead of working directly with the enemy, as both Fred and, and uh, Mark have mentioned and Dan have mentioned. And that is instead of plunging in and trying to find the enemy and get your hands around his throat and, and, uh, and clean the person up, then to work indirectly as to how the enemy has a hold in the person's life. But I might Just one thing I want to say here, too. A very important part that we haven't talked about. That I'm going to be talking about tomorrow night. And that is the necessity of realizing. That we're all wounded people. And that God has made a provision for us. And the provision is what I call. Healing prayer. And it's found in Galatians. Or is found in James 5.16. Where we have two commands. Confess your faults. One to another. Or confess your sins. Depends on the translation you're looking That's a command, we're commanded. You're commanded, I'm commanded, to confess our inner needs to one another. Second command, pray one for another, the conclusion that you might be healed. I have found it so helpful to realize that we are wounded people, and that many people are highly frustrated about the Christian life because as far as they know, they're doing everything right, and they can't bring a closure Some of the problems that they have, and they can't break the bondage in their life. What do they need? They need people who know how to pray to pray healing prayers for them. So, I believe in divine healing. I'm not a healer, you know. Don't don't come and knock on my door with a broken arm. (laughs) I'll probably take you to the hospital and pray for you as I'm doing it, but uh, that's that's I'm not a healer. Most of the healing that I believe in uh, has to do with working on the inside for people that are wounded. I just want to throw that in. I think that Dan has really put his finger on a very important point here. We need to treat the whole person and be very careful. And it's not just one problem the person has; it's multiple problems.
3: I have found just recently uh, a case where counselor, though a Christian and uh, somewhat biblically oriented, felt that she had a gift of discernment, which dictated the counseling procedure. Therefore, she wouldn't listen to the counselee, and she had to be in control. If God gave her special insight, that was it. She would pray about it, she would come back, she would tell the counselee what the terms of counseling would be. This is the the problem with special insight from God. All human observation and reasoning is limited. It must be not only taught by God, but it also must be subject to the conditions that are there. We must observe properly, we must interpret properly, and God expects us to do that. That is not saying that God can't give some special wisdom in this situation. We pray for that. But to depend upon a gift, a so-called gift of discernment, to uh, diagnose the situation and to tell the process and to tell the person this is what we're going to do, uh, smacks of a control that is bred of insecurity. I know a lady who came out of the occult, and before she was completely free, she got involved with a um, a full gospel type of thing where she not only received the gift of tongues but also gifted discernment. I was uh, uh, assessed to the fact that when she was counseling uh, one time, uh, she broke into tongues and the counselee didn't know what in the world she was doing. It was not profitable at all. She thought tongues enabled her to Clarify what was going on and my suggestion is she cloudified uh, That type of thing is very dangerous, you know by the way the Bible does not speak about the gift of discernment the gift is the differentiating of spirits which was a gift given while prophecy and uh, Even tongues were available to the church good gifts in their time just like apostles and prophets However, the gift Here we go. I'm a theologian. But uh, what I'm saying is, to get to differentiating the spirits, my estimation, uh, from what I can understand from Scripture, since the prophets were supposed to stand by and judge the other uh, proclamations in public, was the ability to tell without research into New Testament documents, which were not yet written while the church was still in the formation. The ability to tell whether a person getting up and claiming to have a message from God spoke of the Holy Spirit or from um, human spirit or from a demonic spirit. You know, there are three chapters in the New Testament which are given because there was an assumption that all spiritual utterances in the church were from God. First Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. Now, you know from your pagan background, Paul says, that there are are demons who led you away, and uh, therefore I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God can up and say that uh, Jesus Christ is accursed. Somebody had done that in the congregation, and somebody had thought that was a gift from God until they understood what it really said. So they wrote the Apostle Paul, and he gave three chapters on the subject. Better read them pretty thoroughly.